Hey guys, welcome to My Condolences, the podcast about the hilarious and harrowing stories of life after death. I'm your host, Laura Harmon, and today I have Emma with us, and we're going to talk about her dad, Paul. Welcome. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for bearing with us through all the technical difficulties this morning. (laughs) The universe is like, we're going to work for it today. So first things, why don't you tell me a little bit about your dad? What was he like and what was your relationship like? Yeah, sure. So um, my dad's name was Paul. Um, He was just such a strong person. I think that's the main thing I think of when my memories go back to him. He was just such an independent person. He had the most infectious laugh you've ever heard. Um, you know, when, when he walked into a room, you knew he was there. Um, and yeah, he just, he was self-employed for most of his life. And he was just such an encourager for people. So, you know, if you saw people around him that were down or just didn't know what to do, he would always be the one to kind of like spur them into action, you know? Um, and yeah, it was just in that, in that sense, he was just like an inspiration to me. So, yeah. He sounds amazing. I know that you've talked to me a little bit about the fact that he was diagnosed with stage four uh, esophageal cancer. Why don't Mm. you tell me a little bit about that journey? How, when was he diagnosed? What was that like for you to get that news? Oh man. Okay. So I guess it would be easy to give you a little bit of background as to where I was at the time when this happened. So I was kind of 20, yeah, I was 24 when I found out. Um, I was actually living in Bangkok in Thailand at the time. I'm originally from the UK, so I was away from my friends and my family. Um, and it was just a casual Sunday morning for me. Um, I remember being in my condo in my little apartment overlooking the city, and I was waiting for my dad to come on Skype, like on Sundays as he did. And um, the conversation was great, started off really positive, and, uh, but I could tell that there was something he needed to say. Um, there was just something not quite right on this Sunday, and um, yeah, he just, he just had to come out and say it to me, and that you know, he'd not been feeling that great, and he'd had some tests done, and you know, he'd found out that he had stage four. He had stage four esophageal cancer, and I just remember the shock the sheer, the sheer shock of it all. I just, I never, I never imagined going on that call and hearing those words. And it was just, yeah, it was just mind blowing. And I remember his partner, Jean, she was like sat next to him on camera, you know, trying not to cry and trying just to be so strong in that moment. And I think they were, I think all of us were just so aware in that moment of how many miles apart we were. You know, it's, it's always, it's always apparent, but in that moment, it was so apparent. Um, and I just, you know, I just wanted to be there. And it was kind of a slippery slope from there on in, unfortunately. Um, he went for more tests. He went for a CT scan just to see um, how bad it was. They knew it was quite far in, but at that point, they didn't know whether it was stage three or stage four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of, the, the first instinct I had was to go straight home, you know, just quit everything I was doing, go straight home, be with him, support him. But he was the kind of person that was just so independent and he didn't like having 
slap people around him and making the whole situation, you know, worse for him. And he was like, no, I just want you to carry on living your life and I'll update you when I can. And, you know, if, if I need you here, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to respect what his wishes and just carry on doing what he wanted me to do. Right. So, um, yeah, he went for tests and then it was a few weeks later that he emailed me and, you know, at stage four, um, and he said, I, you know, I, I prefer not to, to video call you because I know it's going to come as a shock. Maybe just take a few days and, you know, we'll talk then. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it was just such a shock for me. I, I never, you know, when you never really think about your parents going, I mean, you don't want to think about it. And I never, I never imagined I would get that news at 24. I always imagined my dad passing away when I was older, you know, never at, sure. never at that age. I know what it's like getting that news because I, my father had throat and tongue cancer mm. and it's, it is something that is such a shock where you're, when you get a stage four diagnosis at that point, it's, it's not to be like sound insensitive, but it essentially is a death sentence. It's like, you know, you can't come back from that. Did they put him through exactly. any kind of treatment or was it just really about making him comfortable from that point until the end? So he was very adamant that he wanted treatment. Um, he did not want to give up, bless him. Um, I know, how amazing. So, um, you know, the, the moment he told me on the call, he was like, you know, don't worry, I'm going to fight this. Whatever treatment they offer me, I'm going to take it. Um, and I think, I think, you know, I, I don't want to assume, but the only way I think of it, he, he was just putting all his faith in what the doctors are telling him and he was just hoping that it was going to work whatever they threw at him it was going to work and you know when they found out it was stage four they offered him chemotherapy and radiotherapy mm-hmm. they um yeah they did a uh they did like a, a sit down meeting with him and said you know we, we want to go hard at this we want to do the hard radiotherapy on it to see if we can make any progress in a short amount of time to give you some more time to be with your family. Um, and he accepted it. He said, yeah, let, let's go for it. Um, which I found so courageous and was just such an inspiration, um, for him to, to feel like that in that moment, you know, when you, when you're told you're going to die and you're like, no, this is not, this is not the end for me yet. And I really think that's, that's what he had in him um and so yeah he he went through the first round of chemo and radiotherapy sorry I can't really remember if it was both at the same time but I think it was um but unfortunately it had the opposite effect so um they went hard and unfortunately I think it was a little bit too hard and um his body just reacted very badly to it um I don't think he had the strength I don't think his immunity had the strength to handle what was being thrown at him. Um, and yeah, it was a very, very slippery slope from there on in. Um, I remember like I was teaching at the time and I had the summer holidays coming up. So obviously I booked to go home to see him. And I remember like arriving through the door, I got back to the UK and um, I got back to my dad's apartment. And I remember walking through the door and seeing him and it was just a shadow of how, of who he used to be. You know, he was just so frail and so thin 
And it happened in such a short amount of time. I think that's what was just so shocking for me. I saw him in February of that year. We had a wedding in Thailand for my cousin and he came out and he was fine. He was, he, you know, he was, he was tired and he was a little bit, um, yeah, I guess you could say exhausted, but we just, we all just put that down to work and, you know, him getting to that retirement age and um, he was fine. And then a month later, he's on the phone telling me he possibly has stage four cancer and you just, you don't, um, yeah, you just, you, you don't want to, you don't want to accept it, you know? Um, so in that moment, when I saw him, I realized it was something I had to accept that right. this is something he was going through. And I think that was the first time in my whole 25, 24 years at that point that I had seen him so vulnerable. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd always put him on this pedestal of being just so strong and so, independent and so there for everyone and in that moment I saw him as vulnerable and it just it broke me um and yeah he unfortunately he got sepsis um from well they think it was sepsis he got like a fever three days into me being home and he had to be um airlifted to hospital he had a blood transfusion um and stayed in the hospital for quite a while and then the doctors pretty much decided that, you know, his body was too frail to have any more radiotherapy. So the best thing for him to do was to um, spend time at home and, you know, get on the morphine and to handle the pain um, and basically ride it out. And um, that was devastating. It, it was devastating to everyone. We, we, because you, you come in thinking, okay, he's going to have radiotherapy. He's going to get through this. You know, there's always that hope. Absolutely. Always that hope inside you that things are going to be okay. And you don't want, you don't want to go to the other side of it not being okay, right? And then it was that, that moment where, where you realize that this, this is not going to have a happy ending. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a case of the next couple of months of him being in and out of hospital continually. Um, and uh, yeah, just fighting the pain. And it wasn't, you know, when it come, came to the day of him passing away, it was just incredibly emotional and exhausting. It was very painful for him. I don't, I don't wish esophageal cancer on anyone. It's vicious, absolutely vicious. And um yeah, he's just my hero for the way he handled it. It's just, just incredible, incredible man. I am so impressed by your dad. It's such a, listening to you talk about this, it's, it parallels my family's experience a lot of, in a lot of ways, because I think there is nothing more invasive than throat cancer treatment. Mm. The, uh, the severity of the damage that they do to our dad's bodies through that process. Yeah. It's like burning them and inside out. And I know my dad lost over a hundred pounds. He um, just disintegrated and he was that big man as well. And so I know as you're, you know, as the daughter, it's so hard to see our daddy in a lot of ways, like yeah. our, that yeah. rock be so vulnerable why don't you tell me a little bit about what was the day like for you when he actually did pass away what were the feelings that came up for you oh man um I think it was fear there was just so much fear um there was so much 
regret just watching him. I mean, he was in his bed. He, he was, that was one thing about him. He was adamant that he wasn't going to die in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And so he, he'd been so much in and out of hospital to the point where he was, I think he was starting to get frustrated because the doctors would be telling him, you know, we're not sure how much time you have left. Say your goodbyes. So we would go through the whole goodbye process Ugh, and then brutal. he would get better. I mean, not better, but the next day he would have more energy. Sure. I mean, he would do a 180. And we'd be like, okay, um, well, maybe he can come home. And then he ended up coming home and then he would go back to hospital. And I think it got to the point where he was like, I want to be at home when I pass away. And that's all I want. Like, that's my last wish. Um, and so we managed to get him home. And um, I remember the night before he passed away, it was getting pretty bad. Um, I don't mean to be graphic, but you can, he, was coughing up, he was coughing up a lot of blood and he wasn't breathing properly. And um, it got to the point where we were very scared. We didn't know what to do. You know, we're not, we're not trained nurses. Um, we do the best we can, but at the same time, we don't, we, you, no one wants to see your dad like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like a long night of just watching him, um, deteriorate. And we rang the, the, the NHS, the national health service hotline, just to ask if there's anything we can do to alleviate what he's going through. And the answer was no, you know, um, the best you can do is make him as comfortable as possible. Um, we had a hospice nurse come in sort of every six hours or so to give him more morphine to make him not feel that much pain. But in the end, I think it that I don't think he felt it, to be honest. I think it was like full, full throttle on the pain level. Um, and the next day, yeah, we woke up really early and it was just honestly, it was about eight hours of just watching him not being able to breathe. <laughs> and I, I, I think we just wanted to be near him. We didn't want him to die alone. And it's, you know, putting him in front of your own feelings to that. No one wants to watch it, but at the same time, you don't, you're not going to leave, leave him. him. So, Absolutely. Yeah. You have to, you have to put them first and yeah, it was just so many mixed feelings. I remember just watching and, and feeling that regret of not coming home earlier and being so far away like across the world for two years when that two years I could have been with my dad and you have all these things just rush into your head you know why didn't I do this why didn't I hug him more why didn't I you know um and it's just it's very emotional thing the strongest person in your life deteriorate like that and it makes you it makes you realize how precious life is um, and how how vulnerable we are as a human being. You know, we 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 put on these fronts and we we put on our masks in front of people. And I think sometimes we 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 forget we forget how precious life is and how how we should be living. Um, and I think it was in that moment that I realized that's how my dad lived his life. And you know, when, when I do lose him, that's how I, I should try to live my life too. Um, but yeah, but the whole day just, yeah, it was just a rush of emotions constantly. Regret, fear, you know, when he dies, how am I going to cope by myself? Who am I going to call? 
when I need advice. You know, oh, I didn't have this conversation with him. I don't even know the answer to what I need to know, you know, and there's, there's no time left. It's just all these little things rushing through your head. And yeah, it's very, um, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. I think that that day that you went through also is very traumatic. Um, we sure. found my dad, um, started, he was brought in, we brought in a hospice nurse and he started to cough up blood in front of my mom mm-hmm. and ended up hemorrhaging to death later that day. So I really understand what your family endured for that amount of time. Um, I think that that's something that changes us for the rest of our lives. We can never yes. really come back from seeing something yeah. like that. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about how did that affect you at the time? What did that next like six weeks, six months, a year look like for you? Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, I was just numb. I was just completely and utterly numb to life. Yeah. Um, I was, I wasn't Emma, put it that way. I was very zombified, I guess, if that's even a word. I just was walking through life. Yeah, just trying to get through the days. Um, I think one of the hardest periods was him passing away and, and to the funeral service. So the funeral, it took three weeks. That was a three week delay oh. to have the funeral. Um, we live in, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. So I grew up in the countryside and there's only so many churches um, you can go to, to have a funeral service or, you know, a crematorium. And so there was a waiting list, believe it or not, to have a funeral service. And yeah, those three weeks were just, they were just a killer. Um, there was nothing anyone could do or say to make it feel But I mean, in any situation, right, when someone passes away, I don't yeah, think there's anything Right, but you're like in a purgatory place there because you can't even yes. have the closure of like, okay, you're exactly. and then I don't know how you feel about this, but it's it's this weird feeling. I know like when we left the hospital and before we buried him, it was like he's just there. He's just there by himself. Like he's just alone. Yes. And even though he was exactly. gone, you're you have this weird abstract thought of like until they're at rest, they're not at rest. You yeah. know what I mean? Even though they've left yeah. their body, it's so you want the closure for their physical self in some way. Yeah, it, was, it felt like pure limbo. Mm. I think that's the word I'm looking for. It mm. was stuck in between knowing he was, wasn't going to walk through the door anymore and not being able to witness a funeral service and having that official goodbye, you right. know? Um, yeah, just pure limbo. And then, um, so yeah, we finally had the funeral service. I know it's, it was a beautiful, beautiful service. Um, we had a celebrant come in and it was very, non- my dad was not a religious man, so we didn't want to make it religious. Um, what is a celebrant? Like, so a celebrant really celebrates the life of someone that's passed away. Um, so it's, it's very much more of, a positive surface mm-hmm. if you can use that, a service if you can sure. use that word um and really just celebrating the life of who's passed on um and inviting people up to talk about him um and honestly i'm just so grateful that that's what we chose because it made me realize how many lives he touched you know like the the service room was packed there was people outside outside the room to wow. come um, and it just, it really touched me just how many, 
you know, half the people I didn't even know. It was, you know, people, my dad was a painter and decorator for all of life. So the amount of people he met through his work and just all those people turning up and just telling me like crazy funny stories of like how, you know, it was painting the living room and like having cups of tea with them and just mm. telling stories. And it was just so nice to imagine him in those situations and like the lives that he touched and, you know, the people that he gave humor to was just really, really lovely. Um, and I'm just so glad that that's how it went. And then of course, after the funeral, that's when you're expected to go back to normal, right? That's when you have to return to work and be a stereotypical normal person. And it just, it doesn't work out like that. Um, and I think I was still very much in my denial period at that point, even, even though I'd had the funeral and I saw the coffin and everything else that goes with that, I was still in denial. I just, I did not want to accept that he was gone. I did not want to face up to what I had lost. <laughs> I didn't want, you know, I, and how I, it was going to change and was changing my life going forward. I think that's, that's all yeah that's that's all to do with acceptance isn't it and I just I wasn't ready for it at all I it's funny um, I, I think people who have not experienced grief think that there's an acceptance um like arrival date mm -hmm. <laughs> and really I don't know that there ever really is an acceptance date because how do you really ever accept the fact that our parent is gone um even if we were 65 when they died like it's still a, a tragic loss i something that i was thinking when you were talking about all the people that you're that knew your dad in a way it has to be beautiful to see that he lives on in those people's hearts too because i think that's one Absolutely. of our that's one of our deepest fears is that they will be forgotten and and you are still so young you're only 30 like you have two thirds of your life to live without him. And I understand I'm now more than half of my life without my dad. Um, one of my favorite questions is to ask, what is the funniest or worst thing that someone said to you after your dad passed away? Oh, Laura, <laughs> what a question. <laughs> yes. I hope it's, I hope you have a great answer. I love these. I love this question because it's such a good break. It's like, okay, heaviness. And yeah. how was someone an sure. asshole? Tell me. <laughs> I have, um, I have three things, actually. I hope yes. that's okay. Of course. I have, three, I have three things that stand out in mind. And to this day, I never, ever forget they they said to me. First one was actually, um, well, I only saw you cry when you carried the coffin. And it was so, <laughs> right? It was so in my face and to the point. And what the I hell? what goes on behind closed doors you know and it was it was in that moment it was do I say how freaking dare you or do I just walk away and let it go and you know I I decided to go with walking away and letting it go um but now I look back and I'm like hmm maybe I should have gone with right. it first <laughs> right right it was just so insensitive. Um, yeah. And I, yet, I think people can be very judgmental looking in. And when really, you know, that whole day was me just trying to be as strong as I could because I knew that I had to be, I had to get through the day. And 
I guess that's just something maybe I inherited from my just to be strong in the in the in the worst moments of your life and just try to hold on um but believe you me there was not a day that went by where I didn't cry and so it was just such a kick in the face for someone to say that to me I always wonder like why people feel inclined to say things like that because people don't even realize that you are literally like held up right by adrenaline like you have every survival instinct is trying to keep you vertical and keep you conscious to even hear what anyone is saying I remember that like kind of feeling of of that day for our family and people suck so okay that's number one what's number two (laughs) number two I guess um number two was uh I think it was a passing comment and it wasn't from particularly anyone close to me um it was well at least you got some inheritance now wow wow that is so gross And for me, there are two things wrong with that. One, you are assuming that everybody gets inheritance when your mom and dad die. Which we don't, but go ahead and keep thinking that. Which is bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, number two, just my God, like how insensitive can you be? And also like how gross is that, that that's the assumption, right? That there's, I I, I remember years and years later, because I moved from Florida to California and no one out here knew my dad. And somebody said, well, what happened to all the money your dad left to you? I'm like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> like, any money that was left went to my mother, and then she had to decide where that went. Like, I didn't have a trust fund set aside. There wasn't, like, a bonus <clears throat> package for losing a parent. Like, it's so short-sighted yeah. to think, like, I, I know, I don't know, I think it was in a movie that I saw, and um, <laughs> I think it was, it was from one of my favorite television shows called Gilmore Girls, and somebody says, what are you wearing to – prom or whatever she goes hopefully the pearls I get when my grandmother kicks and I was yeah. like it's that same mentality of like exactly because really wouldn't you yeah. get everything possible to just have him back for a day like it's such exactly a and you know I think that's the third thing about it you know I would I would pay threefold what an inheritance would be you know even more just to have my dad back you know like inheritance means nothing when you've lost someone right the money it doesn't fill nothing. that it doesn't fill it yeah. that's what's so stupid is people Absolutely. go oh you're sad here's some money it's like no that's why when people go through a loss or even like a really severe divorce they're like oh well they got alimony or oh they got you know a severance package from losing a job it's like no yeah. actually that doesn't actually fill that okay so number three Mm. <laughs> so number three, I think, is more of a general one, and I'm sure so many people hear it. Um, but it was just that passing comment of, you know, you'll you'll feel better soon, you'll feel better in a few months, um, you know, and it's just it just doesn't work like that. I wish it did. Right. I really wish it did, but it doesn't. And I think that's one of the worst things you can hear because it just totally invalidates your feelings Absolutely. and your emotions. Um, and it takes, it even tries to take away what you're feeling and I think, you know, no one should have to battle that. Yeah. And I think it comes from people's discomfort, right? Like they, they can't handle your emotions. Mm. We, I saw that with Mm. lots of my friends because you know, you, you were young, you still are young. I was young. It's like people, even adults, like don't, they don't know how to touch it. So it's just like, well, let's just tidy this up. Let's just tell you to wrap it up with a bow. Um, and, and it sucks that that's, 
kind of how people handle it. I, I want you to tell me what is something that someone could have done to help you with a time? Just to sit with me in silence. I really think that's such a powerful thing to do with someone that's grieving. I think sometimes grieving people are put on a pedestal and expected to talk all the time about what they're going through. And I don't know about you, but some days I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to, I didn't want to showcase my feelings. I didn't want to talk about my emotions. I needed to retreat and it would have just meant the world for someone to sit there and hold my hand and just be in silence and just accepted that. Um, and I guess it's the opposite of what I just said. It's, it's someone coming in too much and saying, what can I do? Can I do this? Can I do that? How are you feeling? Like, how is it really feeling? You know, what do you need? And, and sometimes it's not, you know, whilst I appreciate someone wanting to do all those things for me, at the same time, it's too much. And sometimes you just need someone to sit there with you and accept where you are and meet you where you are. And that is actually 10 times better than, than trying to be, you know, that that person that rushes around. And- right. It's like the fix it person, right? It's, mm, it's that. Yeah. And again, like you're right, it's good intentions, but it is something that mm. like sometimes we've had people in our family, not in our family, that know our family. And mm. it was that rush around busy energy where you're like, no, no, can you just sit and acknowledge the fact that he is gone, that I have to sit here and know that like, he's not coming back. And you, no matter how many casseroles you bring or how many errands you run or how many jokes you tell that like, this is our reality now. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think people understand that until they've gone through it. Um, what advice would you give someone who loses their father? I think to be very, very easy on yourself. Um, for me, there's this fantastic, there's this fantastic um, piece of writing on the internet. I'm kicking myself that I don't know the author who wrote it, but it's all about how grief comes in waves. And, you know, at that, the start of when someone dies, it's like a tsunami and it just overwhelms you. And honestly, in my situation, there was nothing I could do to stop this tsunami from coming. And sometimes you, you, the best thing you can do for yourself is to accept it and to be in it and to feel it because if you don't feel your feelings that's going to come back to haunt you later on down the line and you know I did that quite a few times to begin with and I really regretted it because you have to feel what you're feeling to be able to at least get to the point where you're functioning again right um so you know I think if I could just give one piece of advice it's to feel your feelings and it's it's totally acceptable to be how you are and to be how you you know to feel how, what you're feeling and no one in this world has the right to take that away from you so you know feel it and just just hold on you know just just hold on and ride the waves that's what I would that's my advice I love that advice I, I had a therapist phrase that to me once about like you're in a lifeboat 
out in the middle of the deep sea with 30 foot swells. And she's like, Laura, you're trying to like control your little boat. You don't even have a sail. And so she's just like, lay down in the boat, just lay down, lay there until it's over, you know? And so it's, it's one of those things that we, we feel responsible after we've lost someone. I don't know how you went like with going Mm -hmm. into hyperdrive, things like that. Um, it's, it's exactly what you said. Everyone has a right to grieve the way that they do. I think that that is the most important thing that we can do is hold space for ourselves and people around us hold space for us so we can feel that. Um, one of my favorite questions is where do you think your dad is now? You know, I always imagine him he was such a big fan of Formula One and MotoGP and he loved fishing. I just imagine him surrounded by his favorite things. Um, just riding out his days on his motorbike and just, yeah, I mean, he had a friend that died six months prior to him. And you know what the weird thing is? His friend died from exactly the same type of cancer. Wow. At exactly the same stage. And it's just so unbelievable that it was six months apart. And it really was his oldest friend. And I really do, I really do imagine them together just having the time of their lives. And every time I think of that, it just warms my heart. And sometimes on my down days, that really is what I have to channel. Um, and that's what I do channel. And yeah, I just, I just imagine him somewhere better and not in pain. And that's, yeah, to me, that's, that's all I ever want for him just to be happy and not in pain anymore. Well, how lucky that he has his best friend with him. I mean, I, I always say that my, my dad, yeah, I I always think of my dad up there with some of his friends having a beer, um, you know, sharing that space. If you could sit down with your dad and have a cup of tea, Mm. What would you say to him if you could? Oh my goodness. (laughs) What a question. I mean, that's just so many things you want to say to someone that's not been in your life for so long, right? I mean, it's been, it was five years in August for me since he passed. And um, that was really like a milestone for me. Um, And just my life has changed so much. I would just sit down with him and, tell him everything that's happened you know I have you know I've got two cats I'm in a long-term relationship I've traveled the world I've you know I've, I've been to places that he wanted to go and it's just that it's that relentless heartbreak of when you've done all these things and they're not here to see it and you just know how happy they would be to to see you do those things and it would I I really think it would just be like word vomit you know like oh my god you wouldn't believe what happened and oh my god (laughs) Um, you're like and that's only yeah 2015 (laughs) like right exactly and then you haven't even got on to politics I mean god the five years we've had (laughs) oh geez really but yeah above and foremost obviously I would just I would just say how much I love him and just thank him for the time he was here and everything, you know, everything he did for me. He just brought me up to be such an independent person and I wouldn't change that for the world, you know. Um, yeah, I'm just so, I'm just so grateful for the time I had with him and just so thankful that 
he ended up being my dad. I'm glad to see that you've taken your dad's tenacity and passion and purpose and use that to move forward because that is the greatest way to honor his legacy is by showing his level of care with people in your life and that you're still chasing your life. You're still thriving. Um, so thank you so much for coming on, Emma. You did amazing. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. You know, it's been so nice to talk to you about it and in such a safe environment too. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And thank you guys so much for listening. Please rate and review, follow us along through the website. And if you guys could give us five stars, it helps people find the podcast. So go out there and leave us a review. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks guys.